Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast. CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is actually Tuesday night, August the 9th. We're going to hope that as you hear this thing on Thursday morning that nothing imp- incredible has happened on Wednesday. Um, some schedule uh, stuff made it so that we needed to record a, a night earlier, but uh, I'm stubborn, and I'm going to run it when I feel like it, so there you go. Um, but no, we are uh, obviously uh, closer, inching ever so closely to uh, football season, September the 3rd. Virginia will be hosting Richmond. We don't know what they'll wear. We don't know who the quarterback will be, but they will play football, hopefully with some numbers, because as I can, if Herbert will will back me up here in a minute, it is really, really freaking difficult to figure out who some of these guys are. Even when you cover them throughout their entire high school careers, some of them, it is incredibly difficult to know who they are when they don't have numbers. So hopefully they will have numbers on September the 3rd. We're obviously going to talk uh, preseason football. We're going to get into um, <laughs> some good topics. Uh, before we do, let's go around and introduce everybody. out In uh, Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you, Brad. It's always a pleasure to be here. Who Dave's on board at Who Dave's on Twitter. And also up in, uh, oh God, I'm going to blank on this. Arlington? Arlington. Arlington. Yes. Justin Ferber is back on the show as well uh, now that his softball duties do not need to be shirked this evening. Welcome back to the podcast, sir. What's up? I'm great on the hot corner. Um, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. I love how he threw that in. Is that what they tell you, right, Phil? Hold on, Cavs Corner also. <laughs> I, I play. I play a lot of different positions. So Cavs Cav, 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 <laughs> Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Or if Rivals is down, it's a great place to read stuff. Um. Anyway, all right. So let's let's dive into this. Um. I think we can all agree that uh. At least those of us who are practicing. <clears throat> Um, no, I, yeah, I, I'm just going to mute y'all. Let me know when you're done talking about what you saw. <laughs> yeah, right. Dave, 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 warm night. Uh, was that Saturday night? He was like, at one point I got a text message and it was like, what? Nothing breaking that you needed to text me about. Da, 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 da. <laughs> um, I think that the thing that, that I was really, that I took away from, from this. And I said this on radio earlier today. Wait, as you're hearing this two days ago. Um, was the fact that like defensively there are a bunch of like playmaking dudes all over the field and they are going to swarm to the ball in a way in a way that I don't think Virginia has done in quite a while. So th- I, I know that sounds like a really random takeaway, but I, I, that was part of the the three two one today. Like the idea that um, that there's a lot of talent on this defensive side of the ball. Now I'm not that's not to say there isn't talent on the offense. Don't don't be weird. But I just felt like for me. I took away that, like, hey, when these guys are, like, coached well, there's a real likelihood that they might not be that bad. Um, now, that some of that's preseason awesomeness disease, I'm sure, but I think some of that's just factual. I'm really interested to hear uh, what Ferber has to say after his, uh, his, his viewing as well. But for me, the, the takeaway was that competent coaching can have a dramatic impact on you, both in practice and, and, and potentially on the field uh, in an actual game. I kind of feel like Virginia's cupboard is certainly not bare. The depth situation is is a is a real concern, and I don't want to gloss over that. But I also don't want to make it seem like that this team doesn't have talent because what I saw was a team that can win some games. Um, for what did you what was what were some of your takeaways coming out of uh, out of the um, uh, out of the weekend? I agree with what you said about the defense. I think that the defensive look is going to be a little different than what you know. It's not going to be like Al Gross three four. Um, you know, obviously some of the same concepts, but 
a lot of lot of exotic blitz packages and stuff like that. I would expect to see kind of. I mean, we wrote a little bit about that in the defensive preview that we did, but uh, I think that Tim Harris is going to have a big year uh, playing in a style of defense in the secondary that is more fitting of his talent. And I think that um, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the secondary because we didn't talk about a lot about them in our uh, actual defensive uh, philosophy breakdown. Uh, but I think Harris will have a big year. I think Quinn is going to be a good fit for what they're doing, uh, even though his role will be a little bit different. Uh, as far as filling that second safety spot, I think that'll be important. But I think that they have players there that can do that. And then uh, Juan Thornhill, I think, as well, will um, be a good fit at cornerback. He's got that ra- lankiness, that range, kind of like Harris has. So I think those guys will be good on the back end as long as they can get some pressure. Um, and I don't think they'll have any problem doing that against most teams. So I think that's interesting. As far as my biggest takeaway besides that was on the offensive side, I just think that the pace is going to be legit. Um, It is what everybody thinks it's going to be. They're going to play very, very fast, um, which is good and bad. Uh, The one thing that I noticed right away on Friday was that, you know, when they were running 11 on 11, it was kind of like a game simulation drill at the end. Um, When the offense wasn't moving the ball, it felt like they were punting every 30 seconds. Like it just felt like the punts were coming very fast. So um, definitely something to kind of keep an eye on there and see how that goes. Didn't see a ton of run concepts in the first practices, um, which was interesting. I wonder if that's an indication of where the offensive philosophy might be going or if they just haven't really installed all that stuff yet. Probably the latter, but um, I do think they're going to throw the ball quite a bit this year. Um, I think that the passing concepts that they're going to run are definitely an improvement over what we've seen in the past. Um just by seeing like route concepts and stuff like that and how they plan to use receivers, it seems like uh, they have some plays that can take the top off the defense and also a lot of good intermediate to short stuff as well. Um, I, I think that they're going to use Smoke and, and Zacchaeus very well in the slot, and you're going to see a lot of guys running in motion, and uh, sometimes they'll run in motion and then run right back to where they were. So I think that Smoke and O will definitely be beneficiaries of that sort of philosophy of keeping guys on the move and you know imagine how many like little flare passes you can run to a guy that's constantly in motion and stuff like that so um i'm excited about what the offense is going to be able to do and i think that they have a quarterback in the system uh they have two quarterbacks who know the players that they play with in the system and they have another quarterback that's still learning some of that stuff but he has um very good arm talent very uh it seems very intuitive um and has an ability to move around. So I think that that is something that the other two guys don't necessarily have. And if Bankert wins the job, um, I think UVA will have a higher ceiling for it. So those are pretty much my biggest takeaways. Um, Dave, before we kick it over to you, because I, 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 I do have a way for for because I do have a very I think you have a good angle on a point of view on this. I, I want to touch on two things. One is Ferber mentioned the 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 pace and the punting and stuff. I think that's a that's a very legit concern. Anytime you have an offense that that wants to go as fast as Virginia wants to go, what I thought was interesting is that yesterday they had a I, I did not notice this this dude uh, on the first few practices, but they had a guy running over the ball with a stopwatch, and it's funny to me because if you ask them, you ask the, the kids about pace um, as well as the coaches, they say they want to go fast. But in, in essence, part of the reason that they are trying to pace them or like trying to push themselves is because they're trying to they're trying to essentially make it so that, that they will never play a team that will put them at a physical disadvantage because that team plays faster than them. Like I almost wonder in in, pra- in actual application if they're not going to be a little slower at times 
because because Jason Beckman says too is like you know you might be moving in personnel you know it's the 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 pace is going to be dictated by the by the situation more than it will be the hard and fast we got to go as fast as possible um i think that the pace that they play with that they're practicing with that they're certainly preparing for is is more about f- preparing their bodies for it more so than it is maybe that like they got to go every play this way um and so i'm that's something i'm looking forward to the other thing i wanted to mention here is we'll get into quarterbacks a little bit deeper in a second, but I really thought that the idea of, of building out the, the 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 passing game, it seems like one of the things that Bronco wants to do is they go over to a certain extent and then they relearn it, and then they relearn it, and then they relearn it. So instead of installing the base and then adding on to that, um, it's almost like what they're doing is essentially they build the foundation and then they build on that by rebuilding on the foundation. And so, in essence, everybody – it sounds like guys are getting multiple chances to learn. Jason Beck mentioned that. I don't know if you guys saw that that, that piece about the quarterbacks. He's talking about, you know, that, that they start everything fresh as if it's brand new, and then they build on it, and then they relearn it, and they redo it. And so that, to me – I mean, it almost sounds – I mean, it seems like it seems so obvious now, right? The guy who has the book on organization and such is clearly going to have a different way to install – uh, concepts. So it makes a lot of sense to me that they would do something a little bit different. Now, Dave, the, the way I want you to come in on this is what did you not hear about that you were, uh, that either concerns you that you didn't hear about or that you feel like you don't have answers for? Because I feel like after three practices, if we've sufficiently covered X, Y, and Z, it means that, that we saw it. The only thing I, I feel like I can't tell you with any kind of certainty is like who the kicker is going to be, but I feel like everything else I have a good feel for coming out of the three practices. As somebody who wasn't there, what are some of the things you're wondering about uh, as we go forward? Now, what's weird is, you know, despite the fact it doesn't doesn't sound like they showed a full package of what we're doing on offense or defense, I mean, I feel like what you guys were able to see, maybe some of this has to do with the efficiency of of the practice. Like, I feel like more information came out of the three practices we saw than maybe a week with the previous staff. So I don't feel like there's a whole lot of stuff that can be answered in a practice that I haven't heard about, you know, you know, my, I think all of us had the same concerns going in. I mean, what's the offensive line depth going to look like? What's the defensive line depth going to look like? Who who are going to be outside linebackers? I mean, just coming out of what we've heard so far, I mean, obviously we've got depth issues on those two, but it sounds like, you know, it sounds like the, the pieces we have are playing well and maybe we don't realize that, you know, there's a, there's a way to scheme around, um, deficiencies in both of those areas when needed. Obviously, it's not ideal, but it can be done. Um, and it sounds like, you know, when you get to the outside linebacker spots, I mean, it sounds like Cook is everything we kind of mentioned in the last yeah, podcast, but he he's, could be plus yeah, something. Yeah, he's, he's got real potential. I mean, like, I, I mean, I saw I saw him and thought, wow. like he looks- There's a picture of him that on the uh, pictures they released today where he's – it's just where he's running, his arm is flexed. I mean, that's a big arm. <laughs> and what's funny is, is that he's the shortest linebacker, the way I heard it was that he's the shortest linebacker that they've ever coached. But what's funny to me is that if you think about, and I don't mean to, to totally steal your thunder here, no, no, but if you think about like all of the random dudes, okay, think about BYU's success. Bronson Kafusi, Ziggy Ansah, not exactly like household recruiting names. They turn those guys into big deals. And I wonder if this staff is not, in in many ways, much like I guess like Tony Bennett's staff, 
really good at finding a guy that just fits what they do and developing the hell out of the kid. Um, you know, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be pretty stark. I think just watching Cook, I, he's given one of the. Or let me back up a step. One of the reasons that Max Vallis was very successful in doing what he did is because he he did not have like a very complex like situation. Basically, he was asked to do simple things, like, and and so he did, there wasn't a lot of time spent thinking. He could just react. And I feel like in a lot of ways that's what they're going to ask Cook to do. It's not going to be he's going to have to do this and that. Now, he's going to have to do some coverage stuff, which is something that obviously is kind of from his past, uh, you know, when he was when he was a safety. But, like, he's going to be asked to do things that are just natural fits for him. And that's something that I've really been thinking a lot about after watching these practices. Like, I almost got the sense that, like, the staff is not – like, the coaches are not just evaluating guys in terms of who's the best at doing whatever – they're still evaluating guys in terms of what can you do best, right? Because they really are hell-bent on fitting the scheme to your skill sets. Like, they, fer- they, they fervently believe that the best, the best way for the team to have success is to, is, to, is to cater the schemes to the talents you have and maximize that talent's potential, which is such a dramatic departure. We've talked about that in past podcasts, but seeing it in, in action this weekend, seeing those three practices, again, it's three practices. Two of them, they were in, in jerseys, right? Only one practice I saw in shoulder pads. They haven't even gone full pads yet. So I'm not trying to say, like, hey, they're going to go out, you know, come out and beat the, you know, the 72 Dolphins. Don't get me wrong. But, but what, I, what I do think is that when you watch some of these things happening and you, and you see some of the, the methodology at play kind of actually being uh, delivered, so to speak, you get a sense of, okay, this is where the train is going. And so for me, I, I, the questions I still have are, are really simple. you got to find an eighth offensive lineman, right? They've got a group of seven, I think a group of seven that they feel comfortable with. They've got to find that eighth guy. Somebody else has got to come in there and be come into that room and give them that that eighth that eighth dude. Um, I feel like they got to figure out the depth at defensive tackle. You know, is it going to be uh, Miles Redman and Trushilla? Is Jack Powers going to be that guy? They've been cross training him a little bit. Um, and realistically, once you figure out those two spots, I saw enough from Corey Jones and Malcolm Cook to make me feel very comfortable about the starting linebacking core. Um, I saw enough of C.J. Stalker and Giovanni Simmons to think that the that the that there's a lot of talent at linebacker that they can do a lot of things with. Um, I thought that Andrew Brown looked exactly if if I had told you if I tried to describe before and what I was hoping to see from Drew, it would have been exactly what I saw from Drew. Aside from the one day where he was sick and people freaked out, um, I think offensively you hate to see the injuries, so that's a question I have. Um, you know, how 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 are Zacchaeus and Lavroni able to come back? How much time do they miss? Um, elsewhere, I just thought that they were really deep at wide receiver, and Ferber's right; they're going to take the top off this thing a lot, like especially if Ben Kirk's the guy, because Ben Kirk's arm. Let's let's just go ahead and talk quarterback. Ben Kirk has easily the strongest arm of any quarterback I've seen while I've covered UVA, um, and I don't think it's really even close. Like I, I, I think some people want to compare it to like the Grayson Lambert Matt Johns quarterback competition, and I just don't think that that's fair because Ben Kirk brings a lot more tools to the table. Um, I, I, I saw enough from Ben Kirk over three practices to say that he has all the tools. He's got to get sharper. Uh, you know, he's got to. I think his decision making has to tighten up a little bit, um, especially when it comes to getting rid of the ball. I saw a couple times where he just kind of bailed a little bit and and wasn't as. Um, 
as specific, let's say, about getting rid of the ball as he should have been. Um, but he doesn't have, I wouldn't call him a gunslinger. He doesn't have a, you know, I'm going to throw this anyway kind of mentality. Um, so I think some of that might just be getting used to game speed. Uh, Ferber, you, you saw them all uh, that night. What I'm guessing from our conversations that you agree with me, but I guess I'll open it up to you. What's your, your current feeling on the quarterbacks? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, I think I expect him to be the guy um, just based on the skill set and you know what's happened over the last few days with how the reps are kind of broken down and that sort of thing. Um, he definitely has the highest ceiling. I think he raises the ceiling for the team. Um, and that's just from an arm standpoint. That's not even talking about his ability to move around. Um, I think he's got, I mean, Matt Johns has a little bit of this too, and we don't really know if Connor Brewer has it or not because he's barely played, but, um, it seems like Bankard has a pretty good ability to improvise when things break down. And I think that would be a good skill set to have with a line that might be not very deep. Um, and you know, have some trouble spots here and there. Um, but I think you can kind of see where he would raise the level of what this offense is capable of. And I think you can kind of see why they brought him in and, and how he fits into what they're doing and, you know, why Ruffin McNeil probably vouched for him, uh, when UVA was looking at, you know, possibly taking him. And, um, I think he'll be the guy unless the only caveat could be if he doesn't grasp something or, turns the ball over way too much in practice, or we just see a great, you know, escalation from one of the other two guys. Um, but barring those things, I think, uh, I think he's probably going to be the guy. All right, Dave, you, you obviously weren't able to see him live, but you were able to, to kind of consume everything. Did, did they, did they, did enough questions get answered for you, uh, about the, uh, about the quarterback position and, and if Benton Kirk is the guy as we kind of expected it to be, um, what uh, what are what are your thoughts? I mean, I think it's after you know year after year of poor quarterback play, no question is going to be answered until the final game is done for me. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I want to see some see results on the field, but you know, the more I, as we get through the what we all affectionately refer to as the preseason awesomeness disease problem that we run into this time of year year after year, um, for me, you know, the one thing that is encouraging to me is, I mean, we, we didn't win zero games last year. I mean, it was, it was a, you know, a four win team that, that potentially could have won. No. Yeah. Four win, right? Four or five, four, 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 okay. four um, but it could have potentially won, you know, five more with Matt Johns at quarterback and, an offensive staff that I have much less confidence in than one we have now. So, I mean, if you figure that the coaching staff is better and can scheme around the talent they have better, and you've got Matt Johns, who's proven he can win four games with inept coaching, we can't be much worse at quarterback. So if you get, if everything that Ben Kurt has flashed, and it's not like you guys are the only ones who are seeing this stuff. I mean, so, I mean, just look at the film. I mean, you can, you can watch 30 seconds of Binker to see the ball come out of his hand so much different than, than any quarterback. You know what we, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't see him live. So in video, it's been a while. Um, you know, Lambert had a strong arm, but it took a while to get the release there. You know, it took a while to get it released. Um, Michael Strauss had a strong arm and, and a quick release, but 
you know, had some other limitations. Yeah, but um, you know what? Hold on. I, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually thought about this the other day and I totally forgot to mention this. So, I, Ferber, did you ever get to see Strauss uh, in practice? No, uh, not in, not in a practice. Okay. I don't think so, the no. reason I the reason I bring that up is because like I can't I can't really articulate how different they are. Like Strauss mechanic wise, like. Like Ben Kirk looks like a big, strong-armed quarterback who, when he wrote when he rotates, I mean, it, it, there's some ferocity to it, right? I always thought that Strauss's arm was strong, but it was almost like a like a not wrist strength. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Exactly like quarterbacks, they just can yeah. rip it. Like Ben Kirk's whole entire like he's very fluid. Like his motions are very fluid. Like you almost get the sense like he would be a good at he would be he could play other positions, right? Like some quarterbacks, like. I, like even Brewer and Johns, like they have these little mechanic hangups where, like, sometimes Philip Sims used to do this, right? When he would like try to go really deep, it was like he would do this thing, like almost like he was tracking a tennis ball at the net, where like his hand would come up and stuff, and like his shoulder would dip. Um, I, thought, I, I, the way I remember Strauss was a, a, a very strong arm guy, but man, he, he, his, his mechanics weren't necessarily such that he really could maximize it yep. and be consistent with it, you know. Like Ben yeah. Kirk, I was watching this drill where where they were doing this thing where uh, I think I mentioned this on the board. Jacob Rainey is like at the goal line in a specific spot, um, and so the quarterbacks are doing a thing, and then they're 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 basically like a ball fake, rotate like rocking back, and then and then throwing, and every other quarterback that threw was like a thirty yard pass, and it kind of just sailed, right? I mean, just a, a regular pass. When Ben Kirk threw the thing, it was on a rope. He looked like he was throwing somebody out from right field, um, and it and it and it had velocity to it, and it had a pop. Yeah, and so I think a lot of that comes from his mechanics as much as his arm. He does look; he has a big arm, but I think the mechanics piece was important, and that's I think that the designation I would draw between him and Strauss. I just again I haven't seen Strauss in a while, but um, my recollection <laughs> of him was that you yeah, know, yeah. his was more of a of a of a of an actual like an arm snap kind of thing versus. Uh, building power in the right kind of way, if that makes sense. Look, we've all played catch with buddies over the years, and we probably, I assume most of you have have played with a buddy who was a really good quarterback at some level. And, you know, you and I, you know, guys with a decent arm can throw the ball far, especially when not pressured. But you occasionally will play with that guy, you know, you go go throw the ball around that guy who's got the strong arm, and he can throw it forty yards too, but it still wants to break your fingers when you catch it at forty yards. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they're both strong arms; they're just they're different. I mean, it's the whole the first time guys play with, and this is not me equating Ben Kurt to Brett Favre. Don't take it that way, but you'd see it when people went to play with Brett Favre the first time. They're like, uh, "Yeah, he pretty much dislocated my finger." Yeah, you know, these guys are playing with really good NFL quarterbacks. There, there's different kinds of arm strength. Um, yeah, Strauss maybe was a bad example, but yeah, he maybe it's just a sign we haven't had a whole lot of big arms. Well, that's the thing yeah, I mean, is that like they Phillip really haven't. Like Philip Sims could throw the ball really far, but yeah. like I mean, he like this is different because it feels like his like Benkert's mechanics are ahead in that sense, and like he like that we were just you know talking about arm strength. That first throw, I think it was the first throw in one of the drills, he hit Tanner Cowley basically between the non-existent numbers. Um, when he was crossing the middle, 
And I didn't, I mean, I'm not sure if it was Tanner Cowley or somebody else because he didn't have a number. Um, didn't know if you guys knew that or not, but there are no numbers on the jerseys of practice. Um, anyway, that's my side on that. Um, anyway, there are big pieces of tape on the helmet, which is helpful. Well, not, not from the sidelines. Not when you're 40 yards When you away. go back to look at your film. <laughs> no, but um, it hit him basically right in the chest. And it, it, I think he wasn't looking or wasn't ready to catch it or something. And it hit him basically right in the chest, and it bounced like 30 feet up in the air. Um, and then from there, it almost got picked off. It didn't. But it was one of those things where I was like, wow, he threw that ball so hard that when it hit him, it you know, it went way up in the air, basically. It didn't even like hit the ground. Yeah, and he doesn't have the – it's not like he has the strongest arm I've ever seen or anything. But at the same time, like – yeah, I mean, he ain't Bo Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, I mean, but in terms of like st- uh, guys we've seen, like, yeah, like that's the dude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my whole point to this whole like bringing up Big Kerr's arms thing, in Lord, I may re- live to regret this, but hey, I've said a lot of stuff on preseason podcasts. I regret it. The there's a part of me that thinks, hey. I, I really hope Binker is everything. He, you know, it's a big part of me that hopes Binker is everything we hope he can be and more. Um, but you know, it's how he, how I'm starting to look at. It. I mean, if 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 it doesn't work out with him and we go to Matt Johns, I think with the coaching the the coaching staff we have, we're still a better team than last year. Which against a better weaker schedule means maybe you know we're a six win team with Johns, but. Then it gets me thinking, if Ben Curtis is everything we think he could be, what's the ceiling for Virginia? I mean, you know, this is such an offense, offensive-driven game now. So, yeah, that's where I'm kind of backing off the preseason awesomeness disease with, with Ben Curtis. I'm very excited about everything I've heard, heard, heard about him. But, you know, he really doesn't have any significant in-game reps. And, you know, he, he won the job in camp last year before, you know, so he's he's had some some good training camps. He just hasn't been able to injury wise, hadn't been able to get on the field yet. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm. But well, that, and that's fair. I think that uh, yeah. you're probably. I think there are a lot of people out there, a lot of fans who. All right, let's let's let's. I don't want to put everybody, I don't want to put the whole fan base on the on the psychic couch. Okay, but let's just look. It, I I want to tell you two things. Life is a lot better when you can get excited about something. Okay. I understand that Lucy has pulled that football away from you a lot, okay? But it's it's okay to be excited. You got a coach now who clearly understands how to get to the postseason. You know, there've been a lot of discussions on the board lately about okay, how how he did things at BYU. If he does similar things at UVA, what's the success look like? Da 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 da. That's that's a conversation that folks are going to have until it happens. That that. But like, you can be excited. Like, I I, I kind of want to. I, I want to. What I I. I I can't make it so that they, you can be excited without any fear of being disappointed. But what I can tell you is it, that it is not outlandish for you to be excited. Like, is it outlandish for you to think that Kurt Benkert's going to be Cam Newton? Probably so. Um, but at the same time, like, if, if you're just trying to use a quarterback who does certain things, yeah, that makes sense. Like, he's not a running quarterback who is going to take a, take, a, take a shot and, like, spring a giblet. Like, he's a, he's a tough kid. Um, I mean, I, I was interviewing him and I'm, he, he felt like, I mean, it seemed like I was interviewing a linebacker. Um, it's okay to be excited. And I, and I understand where you're coming from on temperate expectations. I think a lot of fans right now are like you, they, they want to get excited, but they've also been kicked in the, in the gut too many times. And so what they're choosing to do is to be cautiously optimistic. And I think that's fair, but I also think if you look at it and I've talked about this on previous podcasts, but like 
where Virginia wants to be is two extra wins, all right, against a schedule that I don't think is as tough. Okay, they they want to they want two more wins from where they were a year ago, and I honestly believe, having watched the, this staff, that competent coaching when, is going to make a huge difference. And I'm I'm going to talk about this a lot until we we actually see games. I, I just have a feeling I am. But I just I genuinely believe that what I saw from an organization standpoint, from understanding how some of that sausage gets made, that it just it, it's worth like two it's like two wins, man. Like I just can't even explain to you how disorganized, how how these kids are different. Like when I interview these kids, they are different. I had a conversation with Tim Harris at, after practice yesterday that I honestly cannot imagine have having had before. He was introspective. He was, I mean, maybe part of that came with age, but he wasn't the the kind of reserved guy when the mics came out or when the recorders came out. I mean, he was such a different person. Um, these uh, uh, these kids are are going through incredibly grueling practices and coming out of them look you straight in the eye, and I think there's a lot to that psychologically. Um, I, and I'm not going to talk to you about how. You know they're going to win an ACC championship and all this nonsense. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go that far. But what I do think is that it's okay for people to be excited. I think it's okay for you to have some expectations. I think you look at the schedule and you think. I think every Virginia fan should look at the schedule and say, if they don't go bowling, uh, that's going to concern me. Honestly, I, and I mean, unless there's like a, a rash of injuries and it's beyond their control, I mean, certainly depth is going to be a problem. But I just, I just think it's okay for fans to be excited and to have some legitimate like. Um, expectations on the season. Again, if you're thinking he's going to Kurt Ben Kirk going to be Cam Newton, yeah, you're going to be disappointed. If you think Virginia's going to win, you know, going to make it to the playoff, probably going to be disappointed. But if you think that they can they can put a brand of football out there that you can be excited about and that can be successful more often than not, I think that's something you you reasonably can do now. I think you it's it's safe to come out it's safe to come out of uh, of that fog that you've been in for the last decade. I feel like. Yeah, and I, I agree. I just want to say that it, if nothing else, the offensive brand will be more exciting to watch, unless you really get excited for, you know, like for seven to six games. Well, yeah, I mean, like if you really get excited for the way that, like, you know, grind it down your throat football or whatever, you know, old school football. I mean, that's great. But like, I think that if you like the more modern offenses that the game has embraced, and what makes college football so great is the diversity in you know, the schemes, um, I think that you're going to be excited with what the product is based on what I saw in the practices, just from the concepts and, and, and it's the tempo of the game and that sort of thing. And, and the, the way that the players kind of like, I think on defense will swarm to the ball and on offense will try to basically beat a defense into the ground. Um, so I think there's that, I mean, at the very minimum, I think that'll be more fun. And honestly, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but, um, you know they were four and eighteen last year, but that doesn't mean they had to be. Um, I think with competent coaching or more competent coaching, um, they could have maybe squeaked out a few more wins. And it felt like that the wins they did have were games that they had solidified, and they kind of almost gave them up at the end. So I don't think they won a lot of games by fluke. So you know I I don't think that they're as far away as maybe people think from being average. Um, I think that they're pretty far away from being. Clemson, <laughs> but um, so is every other team in the ACC. Right. Yeah, I don't think anybody. I don't think they're too far away from being six and six, seven and five. Um, and I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the offensive brand. I mean, you mentioned that you know sometimes in practice it seems like every thirty seconds they're punting, but you know, 
I guess it's just an old way of looking at football. Is that is that a bad thing? I mean, if you're going to go three and out, what's what's the harm in going thirty seconds versus two minutes? Um, yeah, and we saw that plenty last you know last year. You know, we might burn a time out and go three and out and burn two minutes. What's the difference between that and kicking in thirty seconds? Um, this whole, I, I think we. And maybe, you know, I was certainly a sucker of it because I always thought, hey, you know, ball control, ball control, ball control. But, you know, with the timeouts you have in football games now and and the training these guys do, I mean, it's really hard to, to wear a team out if you're not executing well. Um, not necessarily meaning having success every drive, but, you know, having success in, in a certain number of drives. So, you know, it's kind of got off on a tangent there, but anyway, um, <laughs> okay. is it really, is, here's my th- is it really that bad to punt in 30 seconds? Well, I think you know, if you've got a competent defense. Yeah. I think the part of it is, is that you're, if you, I think it's two things. One is people are always weary of change. And so even though I think a lot of people have been clamoring for uh 21st century college football offense. Um, <laughs> I, I think for a lot of people though, it's um, it's also the idea of, okay, but there are some negatives. There Those are, are the negatives that that, that that these fans, I think, that fan, the UVA fans have been thinking about when they played other faster offenses, and they've they thought, okay, this is what we have to do against Carolina. We got to we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to keep you know that, and that makes sense to me. Broncos going to play probably a fifteen sixteen guys on defense all season, barring injury. That's his goal. I mean, like that's that not his goal. That's his that's his comfort spot. His rotation for how many guys he you know he wants in there. Okay. Now, when you add in the the lack of depth on the line. And and then you you take into account that number, and you think like, all right, two or three times of going three and out in thirty seconds is not going to be good. All right, but here's the thing: if your defense is good, like Dave just said, if your defense is competent or is is or is pretty good, they're going to get you the ball back, um, and so the offense is going to have it shot. The interesting thing about this is, is that Virginia fans are about to are going to are going to be stuck in a, in a in an interesting little uh, dichotomy. For the next however many years, right? Where Virginia's offense is going to try to go fast, um, its offense is going to try to score a lot of points, and it's going to it's essentially going to dare you to try to score points, try to keep up with them, right? Uh, and that's not to say that like they're going to they're not try be to good, score twenty four, you know. But, but the, the idea being that that they're going to put the impetus on on the offense. They're going to even though Broncos a defensive coach, his whole methodology is you score more points, you win, right? It's as simple as that. So. On the one hand, Virginia's has, has fans have been have seen the basketball team. The idea being, all right, you know what, uh, you're going to play really strong defense, and you're going to you're going to be smart, and 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 you're going to execute. Even though you're not going to have as many opportunities to score points, you're going to execute at such a high level that it's not going to matter. Virginia's offensive philosophy almost is in reverse, right? You, the faster you go, the, the the more onus you're putting on on that defense to keep up with you. The more opportunities you're going to have to score points, right? And if you think about it, one of the reasons that Virginia hasn't scored a lot of points is because things have been slow. Because they've had these long drives and they haven't had explosive plays and they haven't been able to score when they get in the red zone. So what ends up happening is they waste all this time gaining all these yards in between the twenties and they don't do anything with it, right? What Virginia is going to do now is they're going to go fast, but they're going to want to try to hit those big plays. They're going to want to try to score as many points as they can, which obviously I know it sounds so obvious. I get that. But at the same time, like that's just not the, the wasn't the focal point of the past two staffs. It just wasn't. 
Um, and I think that if you think about it from the standpoint of on the on the bat, on the football side, the idea is going to be that more opportunities to score gives you more chances to score more points. The deep, the the basketball side is going to be, even though you're not going to have as many opportunities to score points, you're going to be efficient enough that it's not going to matter. And I I think it's going to be interesting for this 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 like uh, left brain right brain thing that Virginia fans are going to have uh, between those two those two uh, revenue sports. Uh, mainly because I kind of feel like um, they're. I, I really do believe that Virginia is going to have a lot of success on the gridiron. I really do believe that. I, I mean, I, I really think that um, the continuity of the staff, the fact that all of these guys know exactly what it is that they're looking for. Um, you know, there is no friction. There's no uncertainty. You know, with a lot of new hires. I mean, think about what they're going through in Blacksburg to some extent. You know, there's there's got to be some awkwardness. To, to new staffs, you know, and 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 because a lot of times it's it, maybe you have a head coach who who brought some guys with him, but it's not the whole group. I mean, this is basically the whole group plus Hagens, who might as well be a legend in Charlottesville, and Ruffin McNeil, who kind of fits just perfectly with the whole group. Like I, I I don't know, I'd have to. I mean, I haven't done enough research to to be able to say this with any kind of definitive, um, with any like, to say definitively. But like, how many staffs do that? You know how many they they make this huge transition across country and there's all these unknowns and yet they are very clear on exactly what their roles are. And Bronco's whole thing about hiring G, you know guys who are GAs for him that end up being coaches for him who got and many of them played for him and they understand everything about this dude to a T. So I think part of it part of the reason I think that they they're going to have some success is because they're very clear on on what it looks like and they're and they're not going to like shy away from it. There is no worrying about you know everybody's you know being happy you know like it's it's work right and And, i mean just just to kind of make a point about that is you know like in the spring he switched the roles of two of the coaches so i mean like imagine if uva tried to do that under a previous regime (laughs) true that's good. like all right john tenuta you're gonna coach the linebackers and so and so is gonna do this instead like they would have been like no you know what i mean like i don't i can't imagine that would have happened um, and I mean, you can speak to this. You were there. Um, two of us were there. Um, <laughs> but, nah, um, but the organization, that's not just talk. Like it definitely is different. It is crazy. It is um, so specific. I mean, and then just watching how they end the practices is just crazy to watch how much, I mean, it, if you could, you could watch the videos of it and you think like, all right, that doesn't look so crazy. But if you see how like tired they were when they started the drill, um, I mean, that kind of gives you an idea of how defensive taxing. guys did yeah. fifty-seven updowns or something like that. It one that one group did we fifty-seven, were up and they were just not. They just they were barely able to get up. I mean, and it wasn't because they're not in shape. Um, and what's crazy is that yesterday Quinn says at the end of the interview, I was asking him about it, and he said, you know, he's like, we just went through two hour practice. I don't feel like we did anything. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be fine in the fourth quarter. Because think about football, man. Like, there's timeouts and TV timeouts and. There's lots of stoppages and whatnot. Like, these kids are going to be able to roll, man. And I like the concept of, you know, if they play among the fastest in practice, they're going to be prepared for any pace that comes along. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you remember from your research for that offensive piece you did for, I mean, BYU was like right. uh, Virginia and BYU pretty much ran the exact same number of plays per game last year. Right. It's just, you know, they were like, I think Virginia was like 0.32 points per game and, BYU was over four, you know, point four points per per play. I mean, um, so it's just a matter of being efficient, and 
you know, the one thing I, I keep plugging your pieces for because they're really good and they didn't get enough plug on the board. I'm just kidding. Hey, hey. Um, when you were looking at the defense now, you know, I was kind of looking at that stuff too. At BYU, he ran a whole lot of zone behind that right. crazy 3-4. And everything you guys have told me from practice has been – it's like man coverage. Well, so Tim is, told is he me, already adapting him, to what he has? Yeah, here? that's what I, I asked him yesterday, and Tim said, I haven't played any any zone. It's been all man. Yeah, and they ran a lot of zone at BYU when I was watching film of the defense. Yeah, um, it, was almost ex- it was almost exclusively zone. Um, I, th- I mean, obviously I wasn't looking back like four years ago. So I don't know if that was more to fit what he had in the previous couple of years. Right. Um, but, I mean, I saw almost exclusively zone. And that was something that I said on the board, and um, and I think it's true. I think that the secondary is the group where they're going to benefit the most from, and maybe the skill positions like wide receiver, um, they're going to benefit the most from the talent pool that they have to work with. Um, not just the talent on this year's team, but the talent that they can recruit. Um, just because that you know you can recruit bigger cornerbacks, you can recruit recruit cornerbacks that can cover more ground, more athletic cornerbacks. Um, you can kind of find guys that fit instead of plugging guys in. I mean, when you only have fifty recruits to choose from, uh, you know, in the defensive backfield, and you're kind of plugging and playing, um, especially with guys that are playing because they are. Um, how do I want to say this? Because they have more because uh and i'm not saying that they didn't have good athletes they did but i'm gonna say like they have higher football iqs and more experience um in the secondary as opposed to pure talent um obviously experience is very important but um i think that the pure talent part is somewhere where they can have more flexibility and and it gives them a lot of options right let me let me let me put this and this might be a good place to end it because we've already been going for like 40 minutes but um I, I was talking to a source the other day, and I, I let me just say it like this. This staff is very, very excited about the talent pool that they've both already been coaching and the guys that they're going to coach. Um, I made a point on the board the other day that this is probably the most uh, athletic, uh, most gifted secondary most, in terms of defensive backs that they've had, right? And, so I, and that's exactly what I heard back is that they – when they got to Virginia, they were essentially blown away by the amount of raw talent. Uh, and I think I've seen Bronco say this, and I, he's not trying to throw anybody in the bus. He's just being honest. It was just grossly mismanaged. Um, I really believe that what you're seeing is uh, is a team full of talented kids. Clearly have, have a lot of work to do. I'm not trying to set it up to make it sound like it's going to be easy, but I do think they're in a position now where they're headed in the right direction. And we've you know we've seen in with the basketball program, we've seen what it means when – uh, when somebody with a very clear idea, idea of who they want in what role, doing what thing at what point, we, we've seen what that can, what kind of impact that can have. And I really think that Virginia's found that type of coach in Bronco, uh, and certainly his his staff and the way that they relate to each other. Uh, Ferber mentioned the organization piece. I mean, I've just never seen a practice like that. Um, just the way it was run, the way that the thing the elements moved together. Um, and 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 also too, like if if it if the if the previous if the previous segment it didn't end on the right note, even if you got all the way where you were supposed to go, whistles blew and you ran back and did it again. Um, th- that the idea that there are two ways to do it right the right way and again that is just that's not lip service. Like and that's the other thing, like 
like we had kind of, I mean, I'll be honest, like we heard an er not given like enough times that it just kind of got like boring in our brain. Like we just like, okay, well, whatever. But man, when you watch the, the practice, you're like, yeah, okay, they, they really do live it. And like I said, the players seem in so many ways, uh, uh, not just renewed, but rejuvenated. And I, I really do believe that, that, that even if, even if this season isn't as successful as they want it to be, um, the the ship is so, definitely headed in the right direction, and 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 and, in, and it's very possible that they don't win games because other teams do, you know, because other teams beat them. But the days I think of Virginia beating itself are, are over, and I think that in of itself will probably mean a couple of wins. Um, and, and and like I said, I've said before, as somebody whose sanity depends on uh, folks being rational on Saturdays uh, in, in the fall. Uh, I'm I'm very happy with uh, with the team that I cover and the direction um, that they're kind of heading, um, but I think that's a that's a good place to put a pin in it. Want to thank uh, you guys for for giving me um, time tonight, um, Ferber, for fitting us into your busy softball schedule. Um, I I appreciate uh, appreciate that. Also, Dave, I, I know you uh, had something else going on tonight, so I appreciate you squeezing us in. Um, and I, I of course want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen. Uh, and supporting the show, um, which I, I believe is going to have, we're going to have a lot of fun over the next few weeks leading up to uh, to Richmond. I guess we we will we'll have one more kind of like post fall camp uh, podcast next week, and then we'll probably get into predictions the next week. Um, that'll be the one where Dave and I make fools of ourselves, and Ferber is the voice of reason. So, with all that being said, thanks everybody for giving us uh, your your time today, tonight, whenever it is that you are listening to the show. For David Spence, for Justin Ferber, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.